I danced in the morning when the world was begun. And I danced in the moon and the stars and the sun. And I came down from heaven and I danced on the earth. At Bethlehem I had my I danced for the scribe and the Pharisee, but they would not dance and they wouldn't follow me. I danced for the fishermen, for James and John. They came to me and the dance went on. Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you said he. I danced on the Sabbath and I cured the lame. The holy people said it was a shame. They whipped and they stripped and they hung me high and they left me there on a cross to die. Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you all in the dance, said he. I danced on a Friday and the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back. They buried my body and they thought I'd gone. But I am the dance and I still go on. They cut me down and I leapt up high. I am the life that'll never, never die. I live in you if you live in me. I am the Lord of the dance, said he. said he, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you all in the dance, said he. Dance then wherever you may be, I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I lead you all wherever you may be, and I lead you all in the dance, said he. of the dance said he Before we begin this morning, we have leftover business from last week. Apparently, the sermon I preached made quite an impression. I have this from the pastor of the Emmanuel Presbyterian Church in East Liverpool. If you recall, I made the mistake of when I was reading the text, 
can anything good come out of Nazareth, I replaced it with the word East Liverpool. Only because Debbie was sitting here, and Debbie has taught for a long time in East Liverpool. I got this message. I was driving up to Emmanuel Presbyterian Church this morning, and I listened to your service. I love to hear what direction you take with your sermon compared to where God leads me. It was so funny when you said East Liverpool with me listening. I knew someone from there must have been attending your service, or so I thought. When I did the greetings and announcements, I told my congregation about your saying what good could come from East Liverpool. They gasped aloud. And so I told them that there is a lot of good here at Emmanuel. I told them that they were his good disciples and that we could learn how to, be, how, how to grow and be who God created them to be with a sermon today. So apparently something good does come out of East Liverpool. Let me say publicly, I apologize to the city of East Liverpool, their mayor, the people of Emmanuel Presbyterian Church, and even the East Liverpool potter. Is he a potter? Yeah, he's a potter. Potter Pete. Oh my goodness, he has a name. Okay, Potter Pete, I apologize for anything that I said. Also, thank you who were listening last week and realized that the calling stories of Jesus' disciples have a lot to do with predestination, and it is true that John Calvin and Martin Luther spent a lot of time talking about those stories because they demonstrate the concept well. And one other of you said, I really like your sermons because you said in your sermon you screw up. You're like us. Let me tell you, I do not screw up like you. I screw up far worse than any of you. Nobody in this room has ever had to apologize to Potter Pete. So, we're going to read today in Mark a story about Jesus calling his first disciples. Now you're going to say, if you were paying attention last week, we heard that story last week. Yes, you did. And this week's is a little different than last week's. Because last week what we heard was that Jesus called Simon and Andrew and then Philip and Nathaniel. This week Jesus calls Andrew, Simon, and James and John. And you're saying, now that doesn't make any sense to me. It's the same story. Why aren't the same disciples in there? Why did he do it the same way? Here's my example of that. And since Debbie is here and I'm looking right at her, I'm going right back over here. If I were to write a a biography about Debbie, I would write it from my perspective as her friend and colleague in ministry. I would have one perspective. I would tell one story. I would know certain stories about her that not everybody knew. If Alan is a member of her choir were to write a story, a biography about Debbie, he would know different stories about her, tell different things about her, tell it in a different way. If her two handsome, charming, 30-something sons wrote a story about her, it would be very different. They'd tell their own stories, they'd have their own tales to tell, they'd tell them in their own way. 
If her ex-husband told us a story, we wouldn't listen to it. Because <laughs> we all have exes and we know how that goes, right? If he's not from East Liverpool, is he? No. <laughs> he's actually from Baltimore, Maryland. Okay, good. But if Steve told a story, that would be a very different perspective altogether. Steve met you, you know, didn't know you as a child, right? So met you in, 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 in your mature years, as they say. That would be a whole different story. That's what's happening here. The four gospel writers all have different parts and pieces of Jesus' story, and they're all writing to different people. So the story that they're telling and the way they're telling it is different. Don't get so caught up in the details that you miss the point. The point is, Jesus called people to follow him. And we're going to talk about that. Can we go to the mark? And by the way, Keith, we're going to need a handheld mic for the annual meeting. So here's Mark <clears throat> in the first chapter. He's t- he is telling the same story that we heard from John last week, but this is the way he tells it. Now, after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were there in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed Jesus. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God. Earlier in the year, the Susan Eisman Bible study did a study on a new movie that's coming out on the life of Jesus. It's coming out in segments, and so we did the first, I think, eight installments of it. It's called The Chosen. And The Chosen is a fascinating depiction of Jesus' life. And the whole time we were watching until the very end, Ann Robinson, who leads that Bible study, was very worried about having me in it because she kept, thinking, she kept saying out loud, it's not based on the, it's not really biblical. It doesn't come straight from the Bible. You're not going to like it, Pastor. And I reserve judgment. I did have some of that criticism for it. It is, it, to say it is biblical is probably a stretch. And here's why. Because in the chosen, the biblical characters are given backstories that we don't know about in the Bible. So, Simon Peter, for example, is in trouble with the law, the Roman law, and needs money and then miraculously receives it in the catch of fish that Jesus uh, uh, propagates, right? Mary Magdalene, we see, 
has met some key figures before she meets Jesus in that story. All of the disciples run into Jesus somewhere and somehow before we get to the point in today's story where we are. That's not biblical. It is plausible, though. And here's what I do like about that, because when you read today's story, Jesus is walking down the lake, lake, the lake shore, the lake, lakeside, and it almost sounds as if he goes, okay, you, you, not you, no, you and you, you come with me. And the big dummies get up and do it. Now, in order for that to make any sense, in my head at least, you have to either go to the place where lots of Reformed theologians go, which is to say, that was all predestined by God. God had planned all of that and had figured it out way before, and all of those men knew the minute that he went, you, 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 and you, that it was them and they got up and followed. Or there has to be some backstory that we miss. Somehow these guys knew who Jesus was. They'd seen him in town. They'd heard his teaching. They'd seen his preaching. Maybe, maybe knew about a miracle he did. That's the only way it makes sense to me, that he goes, whoop, 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 and they come with him. In fact, in the movie The Chosen, he goes, when John, James and John are chosen by Jesus, not only here it makes it sound like Zebedee, his father, was left all alone with the hired hands in the net, so woe is him. What will he ever do? In the chosen, Zebedee knows that Jesus is the Messiah and he's excited for his sons. He says, Go, this is the one we've been waiting for. I'll be okay here. You go without me. That makes sense to me. What doesn't, the, the other thing that, that doesn't make sense to me is, why, how, Jesus, if he didn't know these guys, why would he go and just point to some people? He doesn't know what he's getting. He might get an impetuous loudmouth like Peter. He might get, you know, he might get a religious zealot like Andrew. He might get James and John, two brothers who are joined at the hip that can't make, make a, a decision on their own. Two Papa's boys. There had to be some, something there beforehand, logically speaking. And here's why I think that matters. Jesus says to them, repent and follow me. And from that, Christian teaching for 2,000 years has taken from that that we as Christ's disciples are to repent and follow and call others to do the same. But you can't follow somebody you don't know. How do you convince somebody to follow somebody 
that you've never met before. You've heard me say many times before, my great fear about evangelism in the mainline Protestant church is not that we're not saying anything, it's that we don't have anything to say. Because we're not being moved in our own spiritual lives to know Jesus and to love him more and to follow him truly so that we want to invite other people in. We get all caught up when we hear the word evangelism. Oh, I can't possibly, I couldn't possibly talk about theology with somebody. That's just way over my head, and I wouldn't know what to say. And I'm, tell them what Jesus is doing for you in your life. Why does it matter? What do we gain? These men that Jesus went through along the lake shore and went, you, 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 come with me. Men who after Jesus died and were clued in that something bad's going to happen because John the Baptist has already been arrested. After Jesus died, these men carried the word of Jesus to all the known world. The reason we have church now is because they carried the word out. we got to know who Jesus is before we can follow him. And if we know who Jesus is, then we can encourage others to follow him. See, beloved, part of the notion of repent and follow is get your heart right. Put your head in the right place. Turn your lives around from whatever you were doing and know Jesus so that you can follow and fish for people. Hmm. Praise be to God. Amen.